Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, May 25th, 2018. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, Tiffany, Gabby, and Elliot. I think we have everybody today. Yay. Hello. Hello. (laughs) We just sounded like the Monty Python guys. (laughs) (laughs) So today, uh, we are going to talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect. Stupid is as stupid does. Uh, so it's much uh, deeper and more complex than that. It's kind of an interesting thing. Um, there's a number of kind of like avenues that you want to go down when you're talking about this, but we'll get to that later. Um, so talking about what makes people think that they are better than average. So why people have an unwavering tendency to overinflate their skills. And it seems like kind of a common problem where you think of somebody like that as like a, a blowhard. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. would be one word, but uh, mm. they've given it this name, the Dunning-Kruger effect. So Gabby has the, I guess, medical definition. The official <laughs> definition. Med- medical definition. <laughs> yeah. Of a psychological <laughs> term. Official definition. Okay. The Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias in which individuals who are unskilled at a particular task believe themselves to possess above average ability in performing the task. On the other hand, as individuals become more skilled in a particular task, they may mistakenly believe that they possess below average ability in performing those tasks because they may assume that all other that all others possess equal or greater ability. In other words, the miscalibration of the incompetent stems from an error about the self whereas the miscalibration of the highly competent stems from an error about others. Mm. That was the super complete definition. <laughs> <laughs> but it also contained a definition of what is the opposite of the Dunning-Kruger effect, yeah. which yeah. is the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Where basically yeah. you think that you aren't very good at something even when you are. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, yeah, let's, um, we have a clip that we're going to play and I think we'll just go to that right off the bat. So it kind of backs up what Gabby said and goes into a little more detail. That'll give us some context and then we can get into talking about this. One second. Here we go. Are you as good at things as you think you are? How good are you at managing money? What about reading people's emotions? How healthy are you compared to other people you know? Are you better than average at grammar? Knowing how competent we are and how our skills stack up against other people's is more than a self-esteem boost. It helps us figure out when we can forge ahead on our own decisions and instincts and when we need instead to seek out advice. But psychological research suggests that we're not very good at evaluating ourselves accurately. In fact, we frequently overestimate our own abilities. Researchers have a name for this phenomenon, the Dunning-Kruger effect. This effect explains why more than a hundred studies have shown that people display illusory superiority. We judge ourselves as better than others to a degree that violates the laws of math. When software engineers at two companies were asked to rate their performance, 32% of the engineers at one company and 42% at the other put themselves in the top 5%. In another study, 88% of American drivers described themselves as having above-average driving skills. These aren't isolated findings. On average, people tend to rate themselves better than most in disciplines ranging from health, leadership skills, ethics, and beyond. What's particularly interesting is that those with the least ability are often the most likely to overrate their skills to the greatest extent. People measurably poor at logical reasoning, grammar, financial knowledge, math, emotional intelligence, running medical lab tests, and chess all tend to rate their expertise almost as favorably as actual experts do. So who's most vulnerable to this delusion? Sadly, all of us, because we all have pockets of incompetence we don't recognize. But why? 
When psychologists Dunning and Kruger first described the effect in 1999, they argued that people lacking knowledge and skill in particular areas suffer a double curse. First, they make mistakes and reach poor decisions. But second, those same knowledge gaps also prevent them from catching their errors. In other words, poor performers lack the very expertise needed to recognize how badly they're doing. For example, when the researchers studied participants in a college debate tournament, the bottom 25% of teams in preliminary rounds lost nearly four out of every five matches. But they thought they were winning almost 60%. Without a strong grasp of the rules of debate, the students simply couldn't recognize when or how often their arguments broke down. The Dunning-Kruger effect isn't a question of ego blinding us to our weaknesses. People usually do admit their deficits once they can spot them. In one study, students who had initially done badly on a logic quiz and then took a mini-course on logic were quite willing to label their original performances as awful. That may be why people with a moderate amount of experience or expertise often have less confidence in their abilities. They know enough to know that there's a lot they don't know. Meanwhile, experts tend to be aware of just how knowledgeable they are, but they often make a different mistake. They assume that everyone else is knowledgeable too. The result is that people, whether they're inept or highly skilled, are often caught in a bubble of inaccurate self-perception. When they're unskilled, they can't see their own faults. When they're exceptionally competent, they don't perceive how unusual their abilities are. So if the Dunning-Kruger effect is invisible to those experiencing it, what can you do to find out how good you actually are at various things? First, ask for feedback from other people and consider it even if it's hard to hear. Second, and more important, keep learning. The more knowledgeable we become, the less likely we are to have invisible holes in our competence. Perhaps it all boils down to that old proverb, when arguing with a fool, first make sure the other person isn't doing the same thing. Did you enjoy this lesson? If so, please consider supporting yeah, we don't need to support Ted. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to use your clip and yep. not support you. Fair use, man. Come on. <laughs> anyway, so that no, so that, yeah, uh, the uh, the part that gets me about that is that, uh, is that everybody displays it at some point mm -hmm. or another. So I start thinking about when have I displayed it. And I, yeah. you know, I, I, I got to be honest, I like to think, this is going to sound bad, but that I have enough humility to admit when I don't know something, but I'm sure that that's not the case all the time. Absolutely yeah. sure of it, you know, like, but I hate to think of myself as somebody who's just like, yeah, I get it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I can but, do that. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard to yeah. be a human being. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what's interesting actually, as I was reading about um, one, I think it was actually Dunning and Kruger who did, did the study, but it was something about, um, talking to uh, people who were actually experts in a field and they would ask them questions that they wouldn't know the answer to but I think it was because they perceived of themselves as an expert and probably felt some pressure to be able to answer questions in their field would kind of ramble on about something even when they didn't know it so That's I true. think that that kind of comes into it a lot although they say that it's not like you know necessarily an ego thing I do think that there probably is something to that because it, it seems like, you know, when, when you're supposed to know something and you don't, it's like there's some pressure to act like you do. Sure. Oh, yeah, it's called uh, overclaiming, right? It's so common. Oh, okay. that... <laughs> but this has <laughs> got a name. <laughs> it's kind of different than, like, faking it till you make it, right? Because they're, they don't know that they're faking it. Yeah, yeah, that's my question. Do they know that they're just spouting a bunch of nonsense well they must at some level know that they're doing it like yeah, i don't know though do they really that's the mm, question for me i don't think a lot of people know that they're just making up stuff yeah. sure yeah that could be the case i remember there, there was one uh, thing we were looking at there was a clip from like the jimmy kimmel show and they were they went to the south by southwest um 
uh, music festival that happens in Texas, I believe. Austin, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, they were going up to people on the street um, who were kind of there for the festival. And apparently the, the it's like a bunch of hipsters, basically. So everybody thinks that they are fully informed about the the hottest new bands and all this kind of stuff. So they were just making up band names and asking people about them. <laughs> like, uh, what do you think of... Like, some of the band names they were using were hilarious, too. It was like... Uh, uh, Neil pa Neil Patrick Harassment was one of them. <laughs> and, like, they're, they're going on about all, all these different bands and stuff. And, and the people who they're interviewing are, oh, yeah, they're really good. You know, I checked them out a couple of days ago on YouTube. And, yeah, their stuff is really good. <laughs> like, you know, just going on about how how great these bands are. And, like, yeah, I think that they, you know, that they're the next big thing. And it's like, this was like five minutes of clips of, of like, you know, talking to all these people, like, rambling on as if they knew something when it was completely fictional so yeah. i think at some level they must have known that mm -hmm. they didn't know what they were talking about but what is sure. that thing that makes people put the brakes on when they know they're just making stuff up do some people not have that break and they're just totally okay with saying whatever <laughs> that so, is the dilemma that i am currently i think uh, people yeah. say oh since i'm an expert i should know this so i'm just gonna make it all up <laughs> yeah. i think that i think that part is is ego-based in this in the sense that you yeah. don't want to look foolish and yeah. but that over obviously you're going to look foolish later when you didn't know what you were talking about but i think it overrides it in the moment mm -hmm. um i yeah. think it's the same reason and i totally do this a lot where you take on more responsibilities than you're able to handle because you want to say yes and be nice to people mm. you know that happens That's, to me a lot so yeah. i'm less so now than it used to but it's a it's a thing for sure and it's yeah. totally not altruistic. I, I admit that. It's. I think it's more of a flaw than anything because you're just trying to look good, you know. Yeah, I, I, impression that's what management. I think it totally yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Well, there's this one study it, that really hit close to home for me because I consider myself to be a most excellent driver. <laughs> 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 and I guess we can get into what that really means, but uh, a group of researchers were studying people who just so happened to have just been in accidents, like really bad ones that they were actually in the hospital at the time that the study was going on, and they still rated themselves as really good drivers, even though they totaled their cars or they totaled the person they... <laughs> The car who they wrecked into, they were in the hospital with all these injuries, and they still said that they were a good driver. So above average. Yeah, above average. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's above average. Yeah. It's kind of like the in the video, like they were saying, like how many people actually rate themselves as above average when it's like so many people are saying that, that it couldn't possibly be mathematically <laughs> possible. Like 90% you know, of the people out there can't be above average. That's like, mm -hmm. by definition, not possible. Right. Yeah, like students but, say they're above average in grammar, and they were talking about the debate club people who said they were above average in debate when it was obvious that they weren't because they kept losing all their debates. So <laughs> yeah. if everybody does it, is there some kind of evolutionary reason why? Like I know yeah. in some of the articles we read that uh, if you come face to face with your own limitations, that it kind of shatters everything that you think about yourself because if people have narratives that they make up about themselves. So it's a way to maintain your psychic integrity to believe bullcrap about yourself. <laughs> and is that sure. some kind of evolutionary uh, advantage? Yeah. I don't know, uh, maybe just to remain functional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, every, if everybody was constantly questioning everything that they did and nobody really excelled to the level of expert because they were always in this position where it's like, I, you know, I don't really know if I'm good at this. Like maybe that would be like so, such a disadvantage that, mm -hmm. you know, the brain has kind of evolved to just, well, let's just ignore all that evidence that I think. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> just keep plodding on and then maybe we'll 
realize the truth. Come on, you need, <laughs> you need some confidence I, to take a car. I mean, it's damn dangerous out there. You gotta feel yeah, like, yeah, true. I can do this. I'm good. At it. I'm good at it. <laughs> yeah, you have to psych yourself up to get yeah. into a moving vehicle. <laughs> Maybe on some <laughs> deep level, human beings need to have some belief that they can latch on to, whether it's temporary or permanent or not. They need to latch on to something, or else they'll be adrift in this sea of not knowing anything and that's kind of frustrating and scary for people Sorry. which is the case yeah <laughs> yeah i've had that same thing doug that you were talking about be be actually beneficial in a roundabout way uh to where i took a risk and said like professionally that i could do something while i knew full well that i couldn't but that i could probably learn it <laughs> And then just like, oh shit, okay, let's do this now and, and make it work and learn it. And and then I learned that and now I have a new skill. But granted, it mm -hmm. probably wasn't the right way to go about that, but it has worked yeah. out that way a couple of times. Well, I guess it's like that not... idea of being thrown into the deep end and learning how to swim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I think that's different. It's different. It's different. Yeah, yeah? it's different. Because, right. because Dunning Kruger is something which would actually prevent someone from, from taking that step to learning. Because to be able to see, like what you just described, sounds like you have the self awareness to be able to acknowledge that you are not competent at something. And therefore, mm. your aim is to become competent in that by learning it. Um, whereas right. I think that the Dunning-Kruger effect is that there is the illusion of competence already and there's not mm -hmm. the acknowledgement of of having to learn something and so it, it can be uh, really detrimental because it can prevent someone from thinking that they need to learn anymore you know and that's mm -hmm. what keeps them in that stasis almost yeah yeah I think that's true it's kind of a different thing mm -hmm. to like to be you know recognize that you're not competent but have a goal to become competent versus somebody who is completely blind to their incompetence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, th I thought it was really interesting in that clip, actually, um, what he was saying about um, when he said that as someone sort of starts to learn more about a particular subject, they start to realize how little they actually know. Mm -hmm. um, and it's almost like it brings some humility to it. But I found that in my own experience with many things, but I guess the example that I would use is nutrition. And when I started studying nutrition, I thought I had all the answers. Um, mm. And there was some major Dunning-Kruger going on probably. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I went into it thinking, oh, yeah, I, you know, I've read a couple books and I'm an expert or whatever. And then as I gradually started to learn more and more and more, it's like... It's like, actually, the more that I learn, the less that you actually know. You know, it's yeah. like, mm -hmm. actually, this, everything that I learn, it could be completely false. Because it's very depressing. I can see why people yeah. don't want to do stuff. It's painful because you, cause it, it really, it's almost triggers like an existential kind of crisis. dread almost it's yeah it's yeah crisis because you think well is that what is the point <laughs> you know and that's <laughs> i think that is painful but i think that that's a natural process um but mm -hmm. i think the problem is is that when people don't don't experience that um mm -hmm. and that seems to be one of the issues with the people that they're talking about and where this dunning-kruger effect is really prominent is the people who um are sort of driven by this uh, sort of, uh, or they're, 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 the way that they see things is characterized by a complete um, deficiency of this ability to um, acknowledge that they are that they are incompetent or something. Yeah. yeah. Another wonder, example from the oh, sorry, from, uh, another uh, example sorry. from the nutrition field. You know, there's also you guys have heard of Rob Wolf. You know, he's uh, yeah. under a paleo diet. I think he admitted in a recent podcast, you know, last year or so that, yeah, like when he was younger, he was so sure about himself and writing all these things and wrote this book. And now he doesn't quite know anymore. So he's more like <laughs> quiet. He's not producing as many material as he used to do. And um, yeah, but that's a good example of somebody who can like realize, you know, um, and learn from his mistakes 
Whereas yeah, I used other to, people, <laughs> they don't have that insight. Yeah. I used to listen to his podcast, and I thought he always came across as a little bit of an overconfident blowhard. So it's good to hear <laughs> that he said that. Not that he didn't give out good information, but yeah. Isn't it funny how you, can, how you can feel that sometimes? You can sense when somebody's you know, putting on airs or, mm-hmm. or that there's, there's something, there's like a connection missing that they don't, they're not connected to what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's a weird moment. It's like inauthenticity or something that you can feel. Yeah. Yeah. That inauthenticity. Although yeah. there's also, it, you know, and somebody mentioned this in the chat, actually, that, that it seems to be that the people who hack actually put forth the most confidence tend to like attract followers. So <clears throat> maybe Rob Wolf was like, although some people were kind of like, wow, this, sound, this guy sounds like a bit of a blowhard. You know, he, <laughs> but, he obviously it was resonating with people because he was very, he got very popular after writing that, that book. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it's like maybe there's, by, by somebody coming across with such confidence, and you know, maybe this is a hint as to why this Dunning-Kruger actually exists, but you know, that, that when you kind of come forward with so much confidence, you do sort of attract people who are kind of interested and like hungry. It's like, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Maybe I should mm-hmm. uh, start listening to his podcast. I don't know. Do yeah. you think this is tied to uh, narcissism at all? I mean, in the oh, sense yeah. that we're all a little narcissistic, right? But Or psychopathy. Yeah. I guess they, I'm thinking like there's lower... Ends like less extreme examples where somebody might think that they're good at, you know, like Tiff, like you're talking about driving. Of course, yeah. an accident is not unextreme, right? But mm-hmm. uh, in the other sense of somebody who is fully convinced that they're like an expert in, I don't know, nuclear physics or something like that, you know, <laughs> it's just like oh, experiments in their basement with cadmium and stuff, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, so there are extremes, but I guess I'm thinking there's there's like a harmless side and a detrimental side and this yeah. kind of a gray area in between. But I could certainly see psychopaths exhibiting Dunning-Kruger, but I don't know if it's necessarily attached to that phenomena. Yeah. And and is is that um that the outward manifestation of the Dunning-Kruger is that something that that is attractive for people? Um, not that, not that someone, you know, when someone speaks of confidence and displays certain uh, traits and characteristics, um, I mean, there are certain things which do attract people. And if we're just, I guess, if you just look at it from like a purely biological perspective, like the sort of selfish gene idea of how you know your genes just basically just want to reproduce or whatever. Um, and could that be a way to attract, you know, the opposite sex? Could it be a way to uh, potentiate the the transfer of your genetic material to as many offspring as as possible? You know, is that, you know, does yeah, that? I think role? it's certainly I been used that way, whether consciously yeah. or unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, part of being the the biggest, you know, monkey is prowess and skill and and self-sufficiency and all those kind of things, you know. And sometimes a lot of that is just bluster and showboating, too. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Management. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if it comes back to, like, you know, the whole peacock thing. It's like, who's got the best feathers and can shake their butt in the most appealing way to attract mates? (laughs) And it's kind of like the human equivalent of that is just like the guy who can just talk shit the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, similar to, to puffing up the chest to appear as if you're bigger <laughs> and, and yeah. stronger. Whereas when you bring down the chest and you let the breath out, then you realize you're just a scrawny chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Still, I think there's more to it than this because... Mm-hmm. Most incompetent people lack the skill also of self-insight to learn that mm-hmm. they're actually incompetent. It's like yeah. stupid people, you know. Like, are stupid people dangerous or not? <laughs> Sometimes. I don't know if it's even just stupid people because it seems like, it, it's, it sounds like from when, when it's uh, described um, by like people who've actually done studies on this is that, it, it, you know, everybody suffers from this to a certain extent. You know, that there mm-hmm. is, you know, something in everybody where... And then, you know, that comes back to the whole thing about, about 
self-awareness and stuff. It's like when you're just nattering on about something and you don't actually know, you know, what is it that <laughs> makes you actually do that? Like, why don't you actually just say, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I have no yeah, idea. That brings, up, that brings up a good point. I was wondering if like we, because Elliot, you were talking about it being like a, kind of attractive. I wonder if we, we tease that out of people too, because you'll notice a lot of times too, if you say that, somebody asks you a question, you say, I don't know. Then there's this awkward silence, and they yeah, the conversation like, just stops. You like, do you really not know, or you know? And then, and then they'll add, yeah, but what about no? I, you know, I don't know. Full stop. I don't know where to go from here. You know, so it, they want you to know. Um, <laughs> They're so begging they, for it. Yeah. But you so I think know. that might be what I think that might be part of what compels people to go ahead and just answer the question. You know. Mm. Well, I yeah. think it's. You, it has a range of like a spectrum of being pathological or just being something that people make fun of you for. Like say for instance, you say, Oh, like I'm really a great singer. And then you do karaoke one day and everybody's just like, yeah. Yuck. yeah. Versus oh someone who has a position of power or influence like these almost curse these damned gender theorists. <laughs> Yeah, the malarkey. Well, I almost said goddamn gender theorists <laughs> and the malarkey that they push. I mean, just how dangerous that stuff is on a mm -hmm. societal level versus somebody that's just goofing off in their parents' basement. There's a lot yeah. of that comes down from leadership too. I mean, mm -hmm. like look at Jeff Sessions says cannabis is as bad as heroin. <laughs> uh, you know, and everybody went, "What?" <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, yeah, but then you know, just looking at other cases too, like Bush. Uh, remember back in the day when there was—I don't know if you guys remember this. There was a like a town hall kind of thing, and this woman got up and was asking questions and said she worked three jobs. And George W. said, "Wow, three jobs! How uniquely American!" And again, everybody went, "What?" Like, <laughs> you really think that? You know? It's, but I think when leaders. Uh, display that kind of thing and a lot of people who are authoritarian followers absorb that you know and mm -hmm. they start to think those things and think along those lines you know mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. like uh, ponderology ponerogenesis yeah. but maybe in a slightly different way well it can also yeah. be confusing like say in a workplace where you have a hierarchy of managers and supervisors and and, uh, you know, there's a certain way of things to be done. And then you notice that it's not working the way it should be. And you're like, is it me? Am I, am I confused? Why is it? it? It causes you to question yourself and your perception about mm -hmm. what's going on. But nobody mm -hmm. wants to deal with it, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, in uh, a couple articles that we read that, they said that people who are least susceptible to this Dunning-Kruger thing, not that maybe they don't do it too, but people who are depressed or very anxious, and they tend to have a pathological amount of uh, negativism or realism. I forget mm. what they call it. They might call it a pathological realism. But mm. those people seem to be less inclined to fall into this cognitive bias. Which makes More sense. Sure. Yes. Well, maybe, but I mean, I think they might go to the opposite extreme where yeah, they just kind of yeah. like so down on themselves and negative all the time that they just assume that they can't do something when mm -hmm. that might not actually be the case or assume that they're worse at it than everybody else. And what was the name of that? Didn't you say, Tiffany, there was a name to that? Too? Oh, the imposter syndrome? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's a real thing. Uh, for yeah. sure. I mean, it, I think it can happen too in the sense that like it becomes a, a source of anxiety. Um, mm -hmm. I feel that I'm not claiming I'm a genius. What I'm saying is in my work, I feel that a lot, you know, I work with very, very talented people and I'm like, oh, I don't deserve to be here. <laughs> you know, what's <laughs> happening right now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, it's like, it's called the imposter syndrome because it kind of feels like you're in a situation and you are, are supposed to be an expert or something like that. And you feel like you don't belong there. Like, yeah. like you're an imposter. Yeah, yeah, and it can lock you down if you don't get past it. So there needs to be some sort of a balance there, but it's hard to achieve. And I think it can go the opposite way to the point where, you know, I've, I've met people who are really talented, but also very down on themselves. Um, mm -hmm. A good friend of mine is this way. 
but is is it will still get the work done he's like no i'm i'm good i'm good at what i do i just think i'm a piece of crap you know <laughs> it's like this <laughs> weird like balance of you know personal anxiety and all this kind of stuff but then other people who are really talented and just don't think so and just won't pursue it you know mm-hmm. we're like those uh, people you kind of want to slap them too <laughs> yeah yeah cuz you have this well you know of skill to produce and satisfy your your life you know and and they're just kind of sitting there mm-hmm. um yeah so as with everything there has to be a happy medium between realistic self-doubt but still the urge to kind of get out there and do something even though you don't know how to wow. do it yeah <laughs> Yeah. I think it kind of comes down to, I mean, it's not just self-confidence, but kind of like self-awareness to a certain level yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Like kind of be aware of what you know and what you don't know. And kind of also be aware of the fact that this Dunning-Kruger thing actually exists. And that yeah. when you're like sitting there going, oh yeah, I'm an awesome driver. Then you're like, wait a minute, am I actually an awesome driver? You know, I don't Let's actually know friends. if I'm an awesome driver. <laughs> yeah, like ask my friends, maybe like, you know, trying, like maybe like humility is kind of uh, necessary in that respect but also like yeah i mean i think i think self-awareness comes into it in in a lot Mm -hmm. of senses like just because you you have to realize that there is this this tendency to kind of uh go off as if you're an expert when you're really not yeah yeah and that'll help you from being so gullible when other people are doing Mm -hmm. it too so you need to spot it not just in yourself but in other people too so they don't lead you down some road that you don't want to go on yeah, well, and yeah, it can come yeah. into play, like, in critical situations, too, where, so, I don't know, you know, give an example, like, you're on a boat, you know, and somebody's tying something wrong, and you're like, I think that that's wrong, but they really seem like they know what they're doing, you know, <laughs> like, there are these moments where I think you need to step in and, and be like, hey, I think that's wrong, but then if you're anti-confrontational, you know, it's it's hard to do. It's um, It's interesting when you know a little bit about something, and then you witness someone else talking as if they know a little, <laughs> bit, little bit about the same thing um, mm. and you just know that that is not the case. Um, it's, we're talking about this Dunning-Kruger effect and uh, <laughs> maybe sometimes it's hard to pick up on other, it, it may be hard to pick up on uh, if mm-hmm. you're not particularly well versed in, in a subject. If someone speaks about it as if they are confident, then you might just assume that they know what they're talking about. But <clears throat> I um, I know a particular guy, and uh, <laughs> it's 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 very fascinating to see this happen in real time. Um, as I've said, you know, I, I have a, a an example of this. I, I know a guy who uh, I spend some time with every now and again, and. Uh, and he is the perfect example of everything that we're talking about right now. Complete <laughs> lack of any self-awareness um, uh, of his own incompetencies. And <clears throat> it's interesting because we'll be having a conversation. Um, say, I don't know, say something mundane. Like we're talking about how blood flows in the arm, for, for <laughs> instance, something random like that. And he will butt into the conversation and um, explain to everyone who is present uh, exactly how the blood flows or exactly how he thinks it flows. And it is just completely (laughs) nonsensical. There there is zero, zero factual evidence. Um, There is is nothing behind it. He has zero qualifications in biology. He knows nothing about physiology. He knows nothing (laughs) about it, but he will talk about it as if... He is a PhD, as if he's a doctor, you know, and, and it's amazing because if you, because when, when you observe other people, they really are attracted by it. They, they actually believe it. And, and I have to step in and say, hey, actually, no, that's not vitamin A. You, you know, like, see, we talk, he talks to, talks to me about nutrition and I'm no expert, but I've been studying it for like four years. Um, and he has absolutely zero knowledge in that area. And he'll talk to me and he'll try to educate me on it. And I'll have to step in and I'll say, I'm sorry, but that's just completely incorrect. I have no idea where you've got that from. And he's been in for four minutes. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's almost like the, the, it's almost like there is no object, 
objective truth to this individual it's almost like uh, there was this one time we were talking about um theories i think actually we were talking about flat earth uh, he this guy he he subscribes to the flat earth theory oh, um it's it's appealing to him and so um yeah we were we were talking about the i think the concept of like uh, a scientific hypothesis like how a scientist would gather evidence and form a theory based on the evidence and then devise a you know like an experiment to be able to test the validity of that theory and um and so yeah we were talking about scientific evidence for the flat earth and he came out and said something like oh you know that's just a theory I can make my theory. My theory is, you know, these these scientists they've just come up with that. So I can come up with mine and 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 my theory is just as valid as their theory. So it's almost <laughs> like a really strange dynamic and it's like he's completely completely has zero awareness of his incompetence and his lack of knowledge and that doesn't in any way disturb him. And I find that particularly disturbing. <laughs> I, I no to witness that is <laughs> It's really, it's quite scary that there are people like this who are not disturbed by the fact that they have zero awareness or understanding or knowledge in a topic, but can freely speak about it um, as if they do. And it's almost like they actually believe what they're saying. And so just reading about this in articles, it's all very sort of theoretical for me, but I found that actually witnessing this in real life um, really kind of uh, brought it down to earth. Um, and yeah. I think I think that's the gist of it. Like you know, you're just baffled as other people go on and on and make like a figure of themselves, and they still like believe they're like professionals. <laughs> Have you? What does he say when you challenge him? Does he react with rage, or what's his reaction? Uh, he reacts with almost like an air of superiority. <laughs> um, it's not so much rage, but more, uh, what's the word for it? Passive-aggressive? Um, Passive-aggressive, certainly. And uh, dismissive. Um, and really, it's, it's almost like if you were to present this person any evidence to the contrary, um, it still wouldn't necessarily have any effect. It wouldn't penetrate the barrier. Do, do you know mm. what I'm saying? Um, you can explain how something works, and they will still go along with how they think it works um, and that's earthers. really yeah it's, it's yeah it's strange but it's not only it's with this particular individual anyway it's not really it's not just to do with flat earth i think i think his complete um i i think his the the the, the way that he thinks i think flat earth appeals to to that kind of way of thinking mm. almost um but it applies to to lots of other things as well not just flat earth but ev really everything he talks about and it's quite amazing to see that the people around him actually believe what he has to say because he says it so confidently and it's mm. only when you actually step in or you take the person to the side and you say you do understand that that was basically a load of bs and there's <laughs> nothing and they'll be like what how, how do you know that and it's, and so yeah, yeah it's very it's very strange it actually reminds me of there was a video going around for a while that was this guy dr milton mills who was talking about veganism and he was talking about oh. how all protein comes from from plants and blah, blah blah anyway he's just going on with all this completely pseudoscientific nonsense about veganism and why veganism is the is the best and how everybody should just eat plants and no animals and yeah, it was the same kind of thing. Like, you know, he sounded like an expert going on about mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. But the fact of the matter is, if you really, you know, kind of slow down and, and take his arguments kind of one by one, it was just complete nonsense, like absolute complete nonsense. And this guy's a doctor, actually. So that's even more disturbing. Well, I think that speaking of doctors, <laughs> a oh. lot of them, no offense, Gabby, a lot of <laughs> I, a lot of I them worked. will kind of use their education or at least their certificate the certificate of their education against other people to kind of uh stop them from inquiring like if you have a boss who just bullies 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 and you can't really approach them with any questions or get any kind of information at all even if it's just questions on how to do your job better you can't approach them with anything i wonder if those people really know 
the lack of knowledge that they have and they use this kind of uh, meanness to kind of dissuade people from getting too close or from discovering that they're really idiots. I think think it's not conscious. I don't think it's conscious. I think I it's think just like maybe some cases it could be though. Well, maybe, but I don't know. I, I'm willing to bet that it's some kind of like um, just automatic kind of cognitive dissonance thing. It's kind of like their brain just perceives that they're being challenged in some way, even if they're not. In a lot of cases, they perceive that they're being challenged and they need to defend themselves. So it's not like they're even thinking, "Oh, I need to shut this guy down." It's just mm-hmm. kind of like they just automatically do shut that person down. It's like they're running a program and if you confront mm. them and it's like that's not according to, that's not going with the program, you know. So they <laughs> yeah, exactly. they have like a response for that. Yeah, it's it's completely automated, you know. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's conscious or unconscious. It's uh probably mechanistic, you know. It's mechanical, it's robotic basically, you know. It's automatic. That, there are some uh, I think well, there's one particular case that I'm thinking about, which uh, I would agree that perhaps the the mechanism in a lot of the cases is is un- is unconscious. But I would say that in some cases there is some conscious awareness behind it because it, well, I, the the example I think about, I'm not going to name the particular individual, but it's a fairly well-known doctor in the sort of biohacker community. Um, we all everyone would know his name if they're familiar with sort of um, what we talk about. And this particular individual speaks as though they have the answers to the meanings of life. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they know everything. <laughs> and, uh, and it turns out that there's been several people who have followed said protocols, which have been recommended by this person, um, who were part of a, an online community, like a forum, which was, made by this doctor and um and so they tried out the protocols and they actually got a lot worse after Mm. doing it for a significant period of time and uh, their accounts were deleted and their comments were deleted Mm -hmm. um and yeah so in that scenario i think sometimes it can be conscious yeah and that's particularly evil Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah I wonder if uh, there's some Dunning-Kruger effect going on there where it's kind of like a person. But in that that case, is it Dunning-Kruger? Can some people be evil Mm. and know that they're evil and use it to their advantage? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) But I don't know. Like, I'm just wondering if what this doctor is saying and when he's recommending all these protocols and everything like that, if... You know, he it, that's like the Dunning-Kruger effect. He just thinks that he's such an expert and rattles on with great confidence despite the fact that he isn't and he doesn't really know what he's talking about. Like leaving mm-hmm. aside the fact that he's deleting people's accounts and like, you know, doing some evil stuff on the side. Yeah. I think one way to kind of get a clue about some of these people sometimes because, I mean, there are some subjects that are complex and then you have to really know a lot about it in order to understand it. But some people purposely obfuscate what they're Uh saying and make it unnecessarily complicated. Yes, that's true. And like use all these big words and word salad and run on sentences. It's like they're doing it on purpose. So no one can penetrate what exactly it is that they're saying. And thereby they just fill in the blanks as to what they think that they're saying. Well, yeah. Or if you ask a direct question Mm -hmm. and they don't answer it and they go off on some word salad tangent. Yeah. There was that debate recently uh, with, um, the monk debate with Jordan Peterson and uh, Stephen Fry against these two libtard people, and one <laughs> of the libtards was a total like he was like a preacher, and he was the perfect example of that. He would just natter on, and it was total word salad, and you know throwing in all these buzzwords and things like that. And he had a very kind of he was very eloquent and and used a lot of big words, and he would finish saying something that made absolutely no sense whatsoever, and then it was just applause. Yes. <laughs> wonderful it's like that guy didn't say anything yeah there's an interesting um graphic we've got on the on the graphic thing 
for the show. <laughs> What's um, it called, Doug? It's kind of, it's, it's a graphic thingy, picture slidey guy. Slideshow thingy? Yeah, slideshow. That's it. Um, and it's, it's a graph, and it kind of shows the um, – it, it plots uh, confidence on the y-axis and wisdom on the x-axis. And it kind of just plots the line of, you know, how, how the Dunning-Kruger effect actually works. And it's really interesting because in the know-nothing area of the x-axis, the confidence is super high. And then all of a sudden, as you start to learn a little bit more, it suddenly crashes. And it's funny because the they've they've labeled the the peak here um, the peak of Mount Stupid. So it's kind of like where your confidence is super high and your knowledge is super low. And then as you learn a little bit lo more, suddenly the confidence goes way down. And um, and that they say program termination zone there. And I think that's where. Um, maybe they're talking about like people dropping out of a program or something like that. It's kind of like, oh, wait a second, I don't know anything. I'm going to quit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they call the, the, the little trough there the valley of despair. And then slowly the confidence starts to go back up as knowledge kind of keeps going until it plateaus. And they call that the slope of enlightenment until the plateau of sustainability. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It is cool. Oh. It's like it, it begins with, yeah. Like beginner's luck, it's not really beginner's luck. It's like when you begin, when you start learning something and you think that you know it all, <laughs> that's yeah. the peak of Mount Stupid, I can see. Well, I was exactly. thinking back, as you were describing this, I was thinking about my martial arts learning curve. You know, mm. at the beginning, I thought, I, oh, yeah, I know how to do it now. I'm so, <laughs> like, <laughs> peak of Mount Stupid, yeah. <laughs> and then I fell into the valley of despair, and it's like, I think I'm going to quit this. It's too much time. It's not worth it. It's so difficult. <laughs> you know, mm. You'll never do it right. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I think that's pretty typical, and martial arts is actually a good a good. Um, uh, example of that because I think that people like you know I know that they say that when you're taking martial arts like once you get your black belt it's like people th consider that like the pinnacle but really that's like when you can start learning beginning yeah so I, think that, like, <laughs> I got there the black belt, it's like oh yeah it's like the black belt is the peak of Mount Stupid so you've got all these guys who've gotten their black belt and then they go out there and start trying to get into bar fights and stuff and it's like no that's no. the peak of Mount Stupid right there yeah <laughs> You know what, um, <clears throat> Elliot, what you were talking about earlier with, uh, uh, you know, the intent behind this kind of thing, uh, it reminded me of the story of, uh, I think, James McAfee. Is that his name? He's the McAfee antivirus guy. Have you guys heard mm -hmm. that story? Yes. Oh, yeah, no. he, made, he, made a, he made a ton of money. Uh, and then he, so I'm sure I'm going to butcher this, but long story short, he took off to South America, it was Belize or somewhere else. Um, and like set up this weird little sort of commune and he had a bunch of like uh you know hookers with him and he was doing all sorts of weird and he was like threatening people and hiring gangsters to protect himself and during this period he had gotten this weird delusion that he was going to make um like jungle sourced like supplements essentially or some sort of magic elixir from the jungle. And he had actually hired a, a biologist to come down to this place and do research and stuff. And she was like, I don't even, in this interview that I was watching, she was like, I don't even know what he wants me to do, you know, or what we're going for. And then eventually he came back in and was just like, just put some colored water in the beaker. The, the, the press was coming. And so they had people coming in and interviewing him about this giant breakthrough. And McAfee, the virus guy, is making medicine now. And the woman who was there is like, you know, she knows that this is just colored water. Um, and they never actually ended up making anything. But it seemed like he thought it would work. But there was no goal. There was no precise. He didn't even know what he wanted. He just wanted something magical to come out of this. It was really bizarre. That's, well, it's interesting yeah. you mentioned him, and I thought his name was McAfee, but I yeah. could be wrong. But <laughs> No, you're right, yeah. Um, he McAfee, he yeah. actually, before he went to South America, was on the island of Molokai in Hawaii. It's a very small island, and he bought all this land, and it's a very small community. They're very tight-knit, and he moved in there and was convinced he was going to change everything. 
And mm. he um, had a town hall meeting and like the whole island showed up and he sat on top of a desk in a lotus position. So he was above everyone. And he's like, mm. this is my plan for the community. Within two days, they ran him off the island. They were like, this guy <laughs> oh, really? is bullshit. Like he yeah. he's not allowed to come back. Like they, it was just kind of ironic. And then he went to South America and tried to do the same thing. So, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, you know, it reminds me. It reminds me actually of um, there's a book uh, by Same now. I don't remember his first name. Who did um, Inside the Criminal Mind? Yeah. And he was talking to you know talking about a lot of like the criminal mind basically. So he's done a lot of work where he's like interviewed criminals and stuff. And he said that one, uh, one thing that's common um, among many, if not all, is that a lot of times they have these kind of grand elaborate plans. And they're going to start their own business. And, you know, they've got this idea like that they're going to they're start their own business. And really, you know, the more he probes them about it, it's kind of like the more it's revealed that there is absolutely nothing behind this plan. This person knows nothing about business. They know nothing about how these things work. They've just got this image of themselves as a boss ordering people around and making <laughs> tons and tons of cash. Like they don't, there's no connection to reality there. It's just kind of this fantasy about this is what I'm going to do when really like there, there's not, there's absolutely nothing behind it. So it sounds like, it sounds like this um, McAfee guy is maybe kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, I'm going to make jungle supplements. But meanwhile, he knows absolutely <laughs> nothing about it. Like none yeah. whatsoever. It's kind of like, you, you haven't discovered anything in the jungle that could be used as a supplement. Yeah. But that, like, it's you know, it's like reality doesn't, doesn't even penetrate. Right. Yeah, it's like too much money and not enough sense. Like I figure if <laughs> mm -hmm. I just have all this money, I can just change all these things that I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. But there are people who are stupendously wealthy who seem to have some common sense around them, you know. Sure. So I wonder if that's, I mean, but I'm sure it's probably a contributing factor when it's matched with the right personality. I mean, McAfee seems mentally ill to me, like just straight up. <laughs> like, I'm serious. How did he like, create a, an, an antivirus? I don't know. I mean, I think maybe he just struck, maybe he didn't really do it. Struck the uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, I think he struck the right time and he hired the right people to do it. Huh. Right, and he happened to have the money or whatever. He's not the expert that he claims to be, um, hmm. but I, I think it's a form of like uh, mania, I guess. You know, because hmm. you see, I don't know if anybody knows people, and uh, you know, apologies to people who suffer from this because it's a real thing. But uh, actual like bipolar, however, whatever that is, when it manifests. And you have people who go from extreme depressive periods to extreme mania. Um, mm. That mania is totally like what Mc, what McAfee's vibe was. It was just mm. like wide-eyed spit flying, just I'm going to do whatever. <laughs> <you know. clears throat> and, and yeah, there's no awareness or no plan or anything like that. It would almost manifest as psychopathy or sociopathy, but it's like it's not. There is a lack of compassion there, but it's just weird. It's not so much mm. evil as it is just bizarre. But he did evil things. Um, mm. I believe he was alleged to have raped someone, you know, and there was a lot mm. of stuff that went on that was pretty dark, and nobody really knows if he killed anybody, you know. Jeez. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, it, honestly, if you watch this documentary, uh, uh, it kind of leans towards him being a sociopath or a psychopath. But uh, but all this wow. stuff, yeah, you, see, you do see people like that, like Trump, to me is an example like how in the hell did he get so much money because he seems really dumb to me uh and i'm <laughs> you know i'm not bagging on him like i think he's the devil or the new hitler or anything i'm just saying as a man as a person he seems pretty slow and i so i, I find know. myself wondering like that's just what i think I, and i think he exhibits dunning kruger quite a bit but i don't know i don't know the men you know what i mean so yeah i'm not making I, I, judgments see, I don't on know him through the media but yeah. I do know people. I do know people like that, though, who are, you know, if you get sat down and talk to them, they're like kind of there and reasonably intelligent and stuff. But all of a sudden, when certain things come up, they just gotta look good, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that he's a blowhard, like for yeah, sure. That's and what I mean. Sometimes he's yeah. just kind of going on about stuff, and you're kind of like, I don't think he really knows what he's talking about. <laughs> but like, I, I, I don't know, and maybe it's just kind of a lack of uh, of self awareness there or something, or maybe because he's the president, he thinks that he should know these things, so. He just kind of I, to me he's goes like the on New York version stuff? of Bush. Yeah, I, I think he's like the New York mm. version of George W. To me, but personally, that's just yeah, what I, I see. Think there's more going you know? on there, but I don't really know. Yeah, he's a he's yeah. a puzzle. Didn't he make his money in real estate? 
I yeah, have yeah. no idea about the inner workings of real estate and what it takes to make money in that game. So I can't oh, really say that he doesn't know what he's talking about. Maybe you know, he does. I love so yeah. high. <laughs> <laughs> I can teach you about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking a pencil and my notebook. <laughs> yeah. Buy yeah. low, sell high. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so for the average person who has a little teensy-weensy, not-so-harmful, at least to society and all the people around them, aspect of the Dunning-Kruger effect, there is some hope. But for some people, there isn't any hope. So should we address like what we can do in order to make this bias a little less for ourselves as individuals how yes. to protect ourselves yeah. from those yeah <laughs> yeah healthy dose of self-doubt you know i think coming yeah. from a coming from a christian background helps if you have a little red flag every time you think of something good about yourself <laughs> i don't think that's unique to christianity <laughs> some entity on your shoulder telling that you telling you you're a piece of crap <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, <laughs> In, pr in practical terms, I do mean that whenever you think of something like, oh, I'm really good, or that was really great, like, just take a step back. Was it? Okay, sure it was, <laughs> or no. Yeah. You know. Or what if it wasn't? You yeah, if it wasn't, then, you, question. then, then like, correct, the, correct the error, you know, learn what you need to learn, or, or don't mm -hmm. do that anymore, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Ask for feedback. Yes. Right. Yeah, Opinion. I think that's important for sure. It's, uh, you know, the the whole good driver thing is, is kind of really illustrative of this point because <laughs> if most of us are thinking that we're good drivers, above average, I mean, obviously that isn't the case. So it's like, it, and that's something, I, for some reason, I find that that's something that um, a lot of people tend to think about themselves, that oh. they are a good driver. And I think it's just kind of like, well, you know, if I get from A to B and nothing bad happens, then obviously I'm a good driver. But... Um, yeah, I think maybe like feedback is definitely something that, you know, you can ask a passenger in your car, am I a good driver? And they'll probably be like, well, uh, well not really. Fast. You ignore signs, <laughs> you know, you cut people off. Yeah. Well, you only say that because you're a scaredy cat. <laughs> you can't drive. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think another way is to continuously try to expand your knowledge and that way you can keep yourself humble by knowing that there is a lot that you don't know yeah yeah, yeah explore, I think that's true. explore aspects of like because I, I like to think I'm really good at cooking but you know I'll try a recipe and be like just completely ruin it so try <laughs> you know to try things that you uh, that are challenging and mm -hmm. like Tiff said, expand your horizons, do research, and try to gain new knowledge. But you got to take a risk to do it. Like, yeah, you know the cliche, but you're going to crack some eggs, you know, <laughs> to make an omelet. Yep. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> I think that's a a relatively harmless area too, for somebody to think, oh yeah, I'm a good cook, and then it's like anybody who's eating their cooking is like, um, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think you need you more know. salt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's, it, the, the tricky thing about that too is that it, that on individual tastes as well. So mm -hmm. it's uh, you know somebody might tell you, yeah, this is crap, but you know if you've got other people telling you it's good, then yeah. Anyway, I, I also think it's in... the... oh sorry, go ahead. Well, it's important to recognize that everybody suffers from Dunning Kruger not just you other people do too and keeping that in mind makes it easier for you to not look down at other people and not think that you're superior because if you know mm. that basically everybody can be full of crap at times <laughs> then it makes you value your own opinion a lot less <laughs> well and d don't be afraid to ask questions mm-hmm you know, and if you don't know, stupid. yeah, I don't know how to do this. How do I do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's something, there's a, there's a certain, <clears throat> I don't know, like a barrier to get past to, you know, be able to say, I don't know, you know, 
to actually not have to be an expert on things. Like when somebody asks you a question, actually look into your brain and be like, do I have the answer to that? No, <laughs> I don't have the answer to that. Okay, then I should just say that I don't know rather than matter mm -hmm. on about things that might be true, but probably aren't. Yeah. Well, and yeah, realize that false information is more damaging than no information. So even though it's embarrassing in some cases to say that you don't know, or even to catch yourself and be like, whoa, hey, I got to back up a second. I totally lied there. I didn't mean to, you know, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and just admit it because allowing that to continue on often becomes much more damaging because you have then people, depending on what situation you're in there, relying on your supposed knowledge. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So, uh, all right, well, let's go to the pet health segment for today, uh, and then we will uh, wrap it up when we come back. Sounds good. Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. This week's topic is, do animals think? It's a question that has intrigued scientists for thousands of years, inspiring them to come up with different methods and criteria to measure the intelligence of animals. Listen to the following recording to learn more about this controversial question and how determining intelligence often says more about how humans think than about anything else. Have a great weekend and goodbye. Your dog loves to curl up on the couch, but so do you. So you shoo him off and settle in for a cozy evening. After all, you're the human around here. You're an intelligent being, not a simple creature of instinct. You can plan and dream and... Oh, did your dog just outsmart you and feel happy about it? Or was he just following his instincts? Is there even a difference? What is he thinking? Well, it depends on what we mean by thinking and the criteria we use to evaluate it. Aristotle and Descartes both use the criteria of instinct and intelligence to divide animals from humans. Aristotle believed that humans possess reason, while animals could only follow brute instincts for survival and reproduction. Almost 2,000 years later, Descartes suggested a more extreme version of that idea, arguing that animals following instincts were indistinguishable from robots responding mechanically to stimuli in their environments. But the consensus against animal intelligence began to unravel with Darwin's theory of evolution. Darwin hypothesized that intelligence could evolve from simpler instincts. He had observed earthworms making choices about how to drag oddly shaped leaves into their burrows and was struck that a human might employ similar means to solve a similar problem. And if, as he thought, humans are descended from simpler creatures, then perhaps our minds lie at the far end of a continuum, differing from theirs in degree, but not in kind. Recent experiments showing that many species can solve complex problems confirm Darwin's initial hypothesis. Elephants use objects to reach inaccessible places. Crows make their own tools and can use water displacement to get a reward. Octopuses can open jars after watching others do so, and can even remember the process months later. Such tasks involve considering aspects of a problem separately from the immediate situation, and retaining the strategy for later use. Still, while animals can solve complex problems, how do we know what, or even that, they are thinking? Behaviorists such as Pavlov and Thorndike argued that animals that appear to think are usually only responding to reward or punishment. This was the case with Clever Hans, a horse with the amazing ability to tap out answers to math problems. But it turns out Hans wasn't especially good at math, but at reading his unwitting trainer's subtle, nonverbal cues for when to stop tapping. So Hans couldn't count, but does that mean he wasn't thinking? After all, he could interpret nuanced social messages, a quality he shared with many other non-human animals. Elephants recognize each other after years apart and even seem to mourn their dead. 
Bees communicate using a special waggle dance to indicate the location and quality of a food source to other bees. Chimpanzees engage in complex deception schemes, suggesting not only do they think, but they understand that others do too. And then there is Alex the gray parrot, who could use human language to distinguish the colors and shapes of absent objects, and even understand abstract concepts like bigger and smaller. That sounds a lot like intelligence, and not just the work of mindless machines. But while a non-human animal can solve problems and even communicate, for humans, thinking also involves consciousness, the ability to reflect on our actions, not simply to perform them. So far, none of our studies tell us if having the intelligence to outsmart us means that our dog can also feel good about doing so. What we really want to know is, what is it like to be a dog, or an octopus, or a crow? Philosophers of mind call this the hard problem, because while you and I can report what it feels like to be a human, nobody speaks hoarse. Even a talking parrot like Alex couldn't tell us how he feels about the colors he could name. And what if consciousness comes in different forms? Would we even recognize the consciousness of bees? For that matter, how can we know for sure that other people have consciousness? Perhaps they're just well-functioning zombies. Regardless, animal minds continue to test the limits of our understanding, and how we frame them may reveal more about our minds than theirs. Those goats are thinking about something. <laughs> That's it. Well-functioning zombies. <laughs> yeah. There you go. That was a good tie-in. Nice. Well, thank you, Zoe. That was really interesting. Um, I think that we will wrap it up for today. Uh, we'd like to thank our chat participants for taking part in the chat and everybody for listening in. Um, be sure to tune into the SOT Radio Show on Sunday at noon Eastern time. Go to radio.sot.net for that. Uh, so we will be back next week. Okay. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Bye. everybody. Bye. 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 Take care.